It's the June 28, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown, a reconfiguration of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, definitely not my type, Mahler, the fake news dog. Coming up, a screaming heat skull of death. Ooh, that's... Yeah, wow, look out. Yeah. Republican terrorists. (laughs) Satellite spies and more, but first... Yes. Do you have wonderful memories of when you were five years old, Mike? I have one memory of being five years old Are that I could call up right now. It's not going to take long. I remember I was in Mrs. McHugh's uh-huh. kindergarten class. Yeah. And I was lying there on the mat for my nap time. Yeah, nap time. And, and I said out loud, uh-huh. Mrs. McHugh, I'm being so good. I am here on my mat. I'm being very good. And she said, shh, everyone's supposed to be quiet. Yeah. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of humiliation. Shame. Shame. Uh-huh. That I, to this day, to I this still day. live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mrs. McHugh, thank you. Well, she had a point. Hateful bitch. She had a point. She did You're have sitting point. there. You I know, know, she's yeah. trying to keep everybody quiet, and you're talking about your feelings. I usually do. Yeah. This is what I think. <laughs> this is how I feel. This is how. Jesus. <laughs> uh, New research shows that when kids are five, their brains use almost half of their body's energy. And yet, we have no idea how much the brain's energy expenditure varies between kids. This is a huge hole in our understanding of energy expenditure, said researcher Christopher Kazawa. The aim of the research that Kazawa was part of was to understand weight gain and obesity risk and to find whether programs designed to stimulate brain development through enrichment like Head Start, they probably got a little money from Head Start is what I'm thinking on this, but good enough, might influence the brain's pattern of energy use. So if you're learning more and your brain's working more, you might use more carbs. Yeah. You might burn more energy and it might prevent obesity in children. This is a fascinating article. Who knew the brain uses that much energy, right? Yeah, and my brain. Well, your brain uses brain, brain, three quarters of all I just have to keep eating all the time just to feed my brain. Constantly. I have a brain diet. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, one for my brain, one for my body. I can get by on an energy bar. Really? Yeah, on my brain. Yeah. It doesn't really tax me. It's not so much that I'm smart. It's just that my brain's very big. Yeah, it is a very large brain. The research team's finding help confirm that it does affect the yeah. energy use yeah. that these this programs do. Amazing research. It also helped confirm a long-standing hypothesis in anthropology that human children evolved at a much slower rate of childhood growth compared to other mammals and primates, in part because their brains required more energy to develop. Yeah. I guess we know that, but yeah. still. Well. As the energy needed for brain development declines in older children and adolescents, the rate of weight gain increases until you get old and die. It's, it's yeah. just well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's amazing we can even fit into the studio now, Mike. <laughs> considering how little we use our brain. Uh, yeah, I know, Mahler. Too, yeah, Mahler. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't need to mock us, Mahler. Okay, that's just that's unnecessary. Yeah, that's, that brain of yours is pretty small. It's like a walnut, Mahler. A walnut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Soundgarden. Hole. 
Steve Earle, a former wife of Tom Petty and the estate of Tupac Shakur. What do they all have in common? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Mahler hates them all? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, pretty much. They all sued the Universal Music Group over a 2008 fire that destroyed thousands of archived recordings that, according to the lawsuit, was never disclosed to the artists. It's the first legal fallout from a New York Times Magazine investigation that we covered here in Weekly Signals we a couple did. weeks ago yep. that found that the fire in a backlot warehouse at Universal Studios Hollywood had destroyed over 100,000 audio recordings that contained as many as a half a million songs. God. The loss included master tapes, the one-of-a-kind master tapes by some of the most famous names in music history, Ray Charles, Chuck Berry, John Coltrane, The Who, Elmore James, Joni Mitchell, Captain Beefheart, Nirvana, and The Roots. The suit accuses Universal, the biggest record company in the world, of breaching its contracts with artists by failing to properly protect the tapes. It also argues that Universal had a duty to share any income received from settlements from the fire. Yeah. The claim seeks damages in excess of $100 million dollars. Universal is owned by Vivendi, the French media conglomerate, which has been looking to sell up to 50% of the record company. This week, Arnold de Poufontaine, Vivendi's chief executive, dismissed concerns about the fire as just noise. Oh, That's kind of harsh. That's not a good look. That's just not good. Not at all. The lost work of some of the greatest musical talents of the last 150 yeah. years. and Well, then show us some master tapes of these people, Arnaud. Yeah. And it doesn't take that much. Take take several thousand dollars, but it doesn't take that much to make a digital mix. You exactly. can make a digital mix from the master and have all the channels. It's not like you need to mix it. You can have the 16 or 32 tracks or right. 64, whatever it was, eight tracks, transferred to digital. I don't know if this feeds into this culture of the music business where the people who run the music business seem to not respect the artist to the degree that they should be. There's always been this tension. I artists. think all they respect is money. Yeah, you that's it. That is yeah. it. That really does. The least they could have done at some point in time, if they don't have the money to do this, wouldn't it be nice to have a, say, help preserve Captain Beefheart fund me? Right. If you knew right. that the recordings were just sitting there in a warehouse getting old and tape does not last forever. That's another It breaks thing. down. Exactly. I'm sure they could have sought donations yeah. to have these things backed up for all time. Now they're gone. Now they're gone. Yeah. And now hopefully it'll cost them $100 million for not doing what they should have done. Shame. Yes. Canada. You know our neighbor to the north there? Yes, I do. Yeah. I know. Canada, Justin Trudeau. Uh-huh. America's wool cap. Yeah. yeah. Canada snubbed one of Trump's biggest pro-pollution plans. Yes. Pro-pollution. A major weakening of auto pollution standards by signing a clean car deal with California. So California, Canada, it's uh, California. <laughs> The agreement, which pledges to advance the use of clean and electric cars, lacks specifics. Working with California is a way to move forward and share best practices and align our standards, said Catherine McKenna, the Canadian Environment Minister. California has been an inspiration when it comes to clean fuel standards. That is where the world is going. Thank you very much, Catherine. Yeah, thank you, Justin. It's good to feel a little 
backup on all this yeah. stuff. Well, well when the you important, have an yeah. ass for president who exactly. doesn't know his tail end from a hole in the ground. The good thing is California with the fifth, sixth largest economy in the world hooking up with Canada, which is a major international power. This is where I believe in states' rights in California is exemplifying the way to go about doing this in a way that's positive and proactive, a way to help affect the whole world. The move could undercut Trump's effort to weaken environmental policy by creating a much larger market for cleaner cars, making it more profitable for auto manufacturers to build cars to the higher standards. So it's, as they say in the business, a win-win. The Canadian auto market, with annual sales of about 2 million cars and light trucks, is about the same size as California's, which is the largest market in the U.S., 13 other states representing more than a third of the total U.S. market have pledged to join California and enforce stricter pollution standards if the rollback takes effect this year, as widely expected. Canada currently follows the emissions rules set by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Obama administration, which requires automakers to produce cars with an average mileage of 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. That rule, which was projected to dramatically cut U.S. fossil fuel pollution, was one of Obama's signature moves to combat global warming. But Trump's EPA is preparing a plan that lowers those standards. Well, Trump is about lowering standards all the way around. He's all about lowering standards. He would lower it to 37 miles per gallon. And these are always hinky. And remember, this is an average, too. Yes. I'm sure that they account for electric cars. Yes. And my hybrid, it's like 200 miles per gallon yeah. on the hybrid, they, yeah. they figure. So 37 miles per gallon is not no. good. No. Um, that's a major increase in the greenhouse gas pollution that causes climate damage if we go through with this. The Trump administration is also expected to revoke the right of California and other states to set their own higher fuel economy standards. But the new economic state of California might change that. Good, good on yeah. us. Yeah. Good on Canada. Speaking of which, climate change. An intense heat wave is baking Europe, shattering records. It's called climate damage. The weather map of France looked like a screaming heat skull of death. Did you see that? Yes. It truly did. Yeah. It was like the god of statistics <laughs> was warning us. It was 113 degrees in southern France. Firefighters struggled to contain a wildfire in northeast Spain. Climate change has caused two unusual zones of high pressure, causing a Spanish plume of hot air from deserts in Spain and the Sahara to push that over France, Britain, and Germany. Last summer also set record highs for dry conditions and temperatures. As a result, drought and wildfires were rampant last year. The hottest summer since 1500 A.D. That's a long time ago, Mike. 2018, 2010, 2003, 2016, 2002. Yeah. There's a trend here, Mike. There is a trend. I see if you can spot the pattern. Okay. (laughs) The broader weather pattern behind this heat wave has connections to the huge Greenland melt in mid-June climate damage. Both the Greenland melt and this heat wave are connected to a blocking pattern composed of big and lumbering high-pressure zones in the northern latitudes that can become stuck in place and lead to extreme weather. One of the things that scientists have been talking about in terms of a signature of climate damage, climate crisis, 
is that the wind patterns and jet streams across the world start to, instead of being a consistent line, they start looking like snakes. Yeah. The patterns begin to do the snaking. So you get this, these well, waves. Un- unpredictable snakes, too. Yes. Yeah. So you're getting these different patterns, one right after the other. Rain, fall, and then right behind it is these gigantic heat waves. Yeah. And this is the new normal. <laughs> and you're talking about that that ice sheet that's been melting in yeah. Greenland, which is just absolutely catastrophic. Let's not and forget And we've been it. saying this for 40 years now, too. I, I know. That's the sad part about it. We have a bunch of ignorant, greedy folk in Washington running this show. Let's not forget in 2003, 70,000 people died of heat-related illnesses in Europe in that summer. If this news saddens you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI to ease your discomfort? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio at 88.9 FM, KUCI.org. In good news. Yeah. We have good news. Yeah. Researchers announced they discovered a previously unknown reservoir of mostly fresh water beneath the Atlantic Ocean. Has a little bit of salt in it, but it's much easier to clean than the ocean water. Right. The aquifer contains about 670 cubic miles of water. It extends about 56 miles offshore and spans the coastline of New Jersey all the way to Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and likely beyond that. They just didn't do a study further on. This is low-salinity submarine groundwater. It's a promising sign for regions around the world with similar geology, especially as fresh water sources decline. Approximately 2.1 billion people lack access to safe, managed, clean water, and that number will likely rise. There's Great evidence, research. I'm sorry. There's evidence of low-salinity submarine groundwater in all the world's continental shelves. Pretty sure it's there. It's fairly fresh compared to the ocean water above it, but it would still require some desalination to become drinkable. Now, what I think is Nestle is probably already looking into uh, buying the East Coast Continental Shelf so they can bottle this stuff. I know what they're going to like. Go ahead. I was going to call it Atlantis. Atlantis. I I like it. Yeah. I I got a copyright on that. Oh, right now. Atlantis.com. Dot com. Yeah. And we're going to use polluting plastic bottles, too. Oh, yeah. Even better. Extra thick plastic bottles. How about this? Uh-huh. How about this? Okay, let's just hear me out. Okay. okay. You got a little bit of salinity in, in there, so you get yeah. some salt. Yeah. So let's pour in some goopy, syrupy chocolate crap in there. Uh-huh. And we'll Ooh. just call it we'll just call it sweet and sour. Well, salt and chocolate go together. Yeah, yeah. Salt brightens the chocolate. Yes. Come on. Yeah, so we'll call it the briny chocolate. Candy choc- water. Candy water. Briny chocolate. Briny chocolate? Yeah. Oh, uh, ooh, ooh, that's even better. Yeah. Mm, All right. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. All the kids are drinking it now. Briny chocolate. Oregon Senate President Pete Courtney announced that the climate change bill that prompted the Republicans' walk out of the Oregon state legislature and flee the state of Oregon lacks the votes necessary to pass because not enough Democrats support it. That's a sad thing. Democrats needed support from 16 of the 18 members of their Senate caucus in order to pass it, but they failed. The two that voted against the capping measure, they'd taken money from Coke Industries. Is is that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they're Joe Biden Democrats. (laughs) 
<laughs> Last week, every Republican member of the Oregon State Senate left town, effectively killing the bill right then. Republican State Senator Brian Boquist heard that Governor Kate Brown, a Democrat, was asking the Oregon State Police to find him and the other ditching Republicans. So Boquist said, Send bachelors and come heavily armed. I'm not going to be a political prisoner in the state of Oregon. It's just that simple. And I say, I say to Boquist, calm down, dude. You're not a prisoner. They just wanted to find you, and you can do anything legal to avoid that. If you think you have the right to, they were trying to get a vote here, and you chickened out. Yeah. yeah. Man up. Stop overreacting. Yeah. Almost immediately, a member of the Oregon Three Percenters. That which doesn't is sound a, right to which me. Which is a militia. <laughs> I want to three percenters. That may have something to do with their their brain power. They're, uh, like you said, a militia, a domestic terrorist group, yes. more like it. Yeah. They said that they would act as Senator Boquist bodyguards against the state police. This isn't good. We will stand together with unwavering resolve, doing whatever it takes to keep these senators safe, they said. They're safe. We're trying to get a vote here. We're just trying to locate them. We're not going to handcuff them. Jesus Christ. The Oregon Republican Party sided with the terrorists. So the party itself yeah. sided with these militia members. Well, yeah. Some of the Republican lawmakers went to Idaho. That's of course they, they did. That's, that's where they <laughs> headed off to. they did. So, the, so Idaho's <laughs> three percenters, the terrorist group there, yeah. wrote on its Facebook page, this is what the start of a civil war looks like. Yeah, this is exactly what you want to hear from your state legislators yeah. and the people they associate with. Eventually, the Oregon State Police recommended that the Capitol be closed for a possible militia threat. As apparently, they yeah. were getting calls on yeah. this, yeah. and they shut down the Capitol last Friday because yeah. of these... Jerks. To be completely Jesus. fair, Democrats have fled the state. I yeah. think it was Minnesota yeah. and Wisconsin. Absolutely. They left in because of some onerous bill that uh, Scott Walker was trying to pass that was essentially eviscerated their their ability to affect legislation. Yeah. So it's not unheard of. I get it. But, but they didn't turn into a civil war. No, they went to Oklahoma and hung around a pool. They didn't start dredging up civil war rhetoric yeah. about the United States. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIradio.tumblr.com, on Twitter at KUCI FM, on Instagram at KUCI FM, Stream us live on TuneIn or go to iTunes to Internet College University, KUCI 88.9 FM. A federal judge told U.S. House and Senate Democrats they can begin collecting financial evidence this week about Trump's businesses. That's yeah. <laughs> a big yes, yes, Mahler. That's how. That's exactly was my yeah. reaction. Exactly. Yeah, getting ready for a lawsuit here. Judge Emmett Sullivan of the U.S. District Court in Washington denied an attempt by the U.S. Justice Department to stop the Democrats from collecting information from the Trump Organization and to appeal early court decisions in the lawsuit, which tests the constitutionality of Trump's business holdings while he serves as president. This has to do with the Emoluments Clause. Yep. It does. Sullivan said the group of more than 200 Democratic senators and House members can begin collecting evidence today through late September. 
Yeah, they're out there right now All right. collecting evidence. The Democrats, and they better do it quick. The Democrats claim Trump's business holdings violate the constitutional anti-corruption section known as the Emoluments Clause, which says elected officials cannot collect proceeds from foreign powers. But this may not be the end of the fight for Trump's records. The Trump Justice Department will attempt to take its challenge directly to a federal court to appeal despite Sullivan's decision. Mm -hmm. They've already done this. The department said the case presents important questions that warrant immediate appellate review and is another impractical attempt, impractical attempt to disrupt and distract the president from his official duties. He was confused. Like that last time, remember, Barr said the president was, was disoriented. Disoriented. He was angry. Yes, yes You know, because yeah. we were looking into his illegal activities. So he had every right to try and cover it up yeah. and, and obstruct justice. And the same, this is what's going on here again. Yeah. More <laughs> obstruction. These should be public records for a president. There have been multiple reports of money coming into the Trump organization from foreign actors. There are multiple credible, verifiable accounts of this. And this is at the very heart of what our democracy is about. It's about not allowing corruption to run our government. Once again, the Department of Justice under Bob Barr is not supposed to be the president's attorney. They're not supposed to be his Roy Cohn. They're supposed to act on behalf of us, the United States of America. And here they are doing something that would have been unthinkable before Trump, fighting Congress for the financial records of the president of the United States. It would be unheard of. And here we are. In a similar case over Trump's business proceeds that had reached the evidence collection phase, the Trump Justice Department took the same unusual step to get an appeals court to review the matter. The appeals court has not yet made a decision on the case, which remains paused. Which is no good. How long are they going to pause this? Until after the election? This is the problem with a whole bunch of Trump-appointed judges. Maybe I shouldn't assume that that's what's going on here. But this is another tactic that we're going to have to deal with. The lawsuits raised the constitutional issue, never before litigated until Trump took office, of what constitutes an illegal benefit or emolument to a federal official. And speaking of emoluments... Trump wants to hold next year's G7 summit at his Doral Golf Resort near Miami. This again. Now, what happens there is he's having foreigners, as you like to call them foreign agents, (laughs) give him money to stay at his hotel. Yeah. That's the definition of an emolument. Yeah. He's profiting off of a summit meeting. Yeah. You don't want that. It's in the Constitution. Yes. It's the playbook that we all are supposed to play by is the Constitution. It is the rule book. And this is a direct violation of it. And look, Ivanka got $100 million from the Chinese for trademark. um, Yeah, trademark stuff. Trademark. Kushner, Jared Kushner, got $100 million from Prince uh, Ben Salman, bailing him out of a business deal. He was in and over his head. On the bright side... This uh, resort of Trump's, Doral, its net operating income has plummeted by almost 70% since Trump took office. They are severely underperforming, a Trump tax consultant told officials earlier this year while seeking tax relief for the properties. This is a Trump tax guy here. He also said there is some negative connotation that is associated with the brand. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, I, j I refuse to buy any more Dahmer sportswear, okay? Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer yeah, sportswear. Just, yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer sportswear and cutlery. I, I, yeah, I, I just <laughs> will not buy any of that anymore. Speaking of Jeff Dahmer, yeah. it's time to play Who's More Evil? <laughs> ah, America's favorite existential game show, Who's More Evil? Today's question, Who's More Evil? Republican politician and pedophiliac Roy Moore? Or Republican politician and rapist Donald Trump? Oh, God. Give me a second. Let me think about this. <laughs> uh, that's a tough one, Nathan. Uh, I'll just go. Uh, can I say both? <laughs> you're, you're, wrong. you're wrong. In terms of collective evilness, the Trump Leadership Council is the correct answer. Oh, it's a trick question. Yeah. Again, the creation of the Trump Leadership Council back in 2016 went almost entirely unnoticed at the time. Yeah. That's a few years ago. Until now, the members of the council had not been made public, but Rolling Stone magazine obtained a complete list of the members and interviewed half a dozen people who attended and organized the Trump Leadership Council a motley crew of pro-industry, anti-regulation corksuckers. The motley crew was a kitchen cabinet and sounding board of representatives from many of America's most polluting industries. The meetings were secret. The members were mostly leaders of privately held fringe companies, coal barons, China-hating steel producers, and oil and gas wildcatters. They weren't conventional Republicans, council member and Heritage Foundation economist Stephen Moore told Rolling Stone. This is a Trump guy talking. Yeah. He's yeah. the guy that he that Trump tried to get appointed yeah. to the Federal Reserve, yeah. right? They were more maverick business leaders, Moore said. Yeah. Moore is a Republican economist who has said that he'd like to get rid of a lot of these child labor laws and want people starting to work at 11 and 12. Yeah. He also said that women shouldn't be involved in sports unless they're attractive. <sighs> These are sycophants who are hoping to suckle at the teat yeah. of American corruption. Yeah. That's really what this is about. At the urging of the Trump Leadership Council, Trump's EPA has systematically rolled back environmental protections affecting the air and water of thousands of people. The council advised Trump to embrace tariffs in the trade war with China, a move that's put farms out of business and cost every family in America hundreds of dollars a year. The Trump Leadership Council was the brainchild of Harold Hamm. He's a piece a name, of work. He is. Yeah. Who runs the Oklahoma City-based oil and gas company Continental Resources and is worth an estimated $11 billion. Hamm, who never went to college, started his own oil company and pioneered the drilling technique known as horizontal fracking. Well, it's okay. He didn't go to college. I don't care about that. But really, he's making his money off of screwing up the planet. Yep. Climate change isn't our biggest problem, he said during his primetime speaking slot at the 2016 Republican convention. It's Islamic terrorism. Yeah. I think domestic terrorism is a bigger threat than Islamic terrorism. Well, the FBI's been saying that for years. Yeah. So. By late 2017, the council was rebranded the American Leadership Council with Ham as chairman and his oil and gas colleague, John McNabb, as vice chair to pressure Congress to deliver on Trump's America First agenda. Well, I'm going to make one very quick comment about the, the Democratic Party uh, debates. Were, yes, I know. The last night, with the, last night of the night before. I'd like one of them to say... The this, Democratic debate, the or, debates, or pageant. Is pageant, like yeah. <laughs> The pageant. And I think... In some manner of speaking, they allude to this idea, but 
America's democratic system is breaking down. It's breaking down pretty quickly. This election and every subsequent election should always be about the health and well-being of the democratic system in this country. And it's falling apart. Even these debates, which I welcome the opportunity to see these people on stage, it is like speed dating. They describe it as kind of a speed dating debate. Why is that acceptable? Why is it that in the middle of an answer, a substantive answer about something, moderators are yelling, you you know, yeah. The, shouting yeah, them down. They're interrupting people. Shouting them down. Yeah. Now, I understand our attention span and TV and all the constraints of all that kind of nonsense, but we accept this as normal. Yeah, and we accept the fact that CNN played all of Trump's rallies in full length during the 2016. They all did. Even MSNBC would cover a good part of his speeches. And there was nothing of substance there. No. Nothing. No. So we really, truly have to start considering just what the state of our democracy is and all of the different platforms by which we pretend that this is how we're going to make our decision. Because these are flawed and they're getting worse. Every year, commercially available satellite images are becoming sharper and taken more frequently, Mike. Yes. They're up there watching us. In 2008, there were 150 Earth observation satellites in orbit. Now there are 768. Privacy advocates warn that innovation in satellite imagery is outpacing the U.S. government's ability to regulate the technology. Unless we impose stricter limits now, one day everyone will be spied on by satellites. The images keep getting cleaner and clearer. Currently, U.S. federal regulations limit images taken by commercial satellites to a resolution of 25 centimeters, or about the length of uh, Mahler's head. They've been used so investors can predict oil supply from the shadows cast inside oil storage tanks so that farmers can monitor flooding to protect their crops, for human rights organizations to track flows of refugees. But satellite imagery is improving so much that they'll get much more personal in the future. The imaging company Planet Labs currently maintains 140 satellites enough to pass over every place on Earth once a day. Yeah. Black Sky Global promises to revisit most major cities up to 70 times a day so they can monitor what people are doing. Mm. They can find out where you were at a particular time. That might not be enough to track your every move or even to say if Mahler's in our backyard. Yeah. Yeah. The expectation... Yeah, Mahler. He's hiding. The expectation, he probably could for good reason. The expectation of privacy no longer exists. None. It does not exist. I just saw an article yesterday about how they can, from several meters away, tell who you are by your heartbeat. They have a technology now that can zero in on your heartbeat, and it's a unique signature. Yeah. And they know who you are based on that. The National Collegiate Athletic Association has warned that if the state of California's Fair Pay to Play Act passes, all California schools would be ineligible to participate in postseason play. The legislation would allow student players to profit off their own images. On May 22nd, the act passed the California Senate by a 31 to 5 vote. Now it heads to the Assembly's Higher Education Committee for final approval which must be decided on or before July 11th. The law would allow college athletes to earn money from sponsorships and endorsements. 
It does not require student-athletes to be paid by their universities or to be viewed by universities as employees. But under the new legislation, universities that bring in more than $10 million from media revenue would have to remove restrictions on student-athletes that currently prevent them from using their own image for financial gain. Nancy Skinner, a Democrat from Berkeley who introduced the bill, said the purpose was to allow California student-athletes to enjoy the same rights as all other students to earn income from their talent. Both the University of California and California State University systems are opposed to the bill. Also, uh, the NCAA. It warned California that if the Fair Pay to Play Act passes, all athletes at California schools would be ineligible to participate in postseason play. It also says it's worried about how it could affect the athlete recruiting process nationwide because all the good athletes would want to come to California so they could get a little bucks for what they're doing. However, there's a solution for that, Mike. Okay. Congressman Mark Walker from North Carolina in uh, Washington, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. He introduced a federal bill in the U.S. House of Representatives in March that said it would provide college athletes with the same opportunities that every American should have in a free market. So we just make it nationwide. There you go. Now, I don't like all the money coming into sports and all, but it's going to the universities. They're taking advantage of people. Exactly. It would be like if the university saw, say, Mahler. Yeah. And they liked him so much. Yeah. Come on out, Molly. Go on. Come on. I know you're... Yeah, there you, go. there you go. They liked him so much that they started putting him up in billboards and they were raising hundreds of million dollars off of Mahler's face. Yeah. And Mahler got zilch. Yeah. That would be disgusting. That would be disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Greedy bastards. Would you like a little coffee? Yes, I would. Yeah, I've I, I, grown go. to really uh, appreciate Have it. a sip. I will. I got this special cup for you here. It's a real enamel cup instead of those plastic cardboard things they hand out at coffee shops. They're major polluters, you know. Coffee shops, the U.S. alone uses at least 120 billion disposable coffee cups each year. 120 billion. It's a major source of plastic pollution, but a Berlin-based startup has been creating coffee cups from recycled coffee grounds for the past three years. With the help of courier services, Coffee Form, spelled with a K, Mm -hmm. Coffee Form picks up used coffee grounds from cafes across Berlin to create eco-friendly mugs. The coffee grounds are clean, dried, and blended with plant fibers, beechwood grains, and natural resins. The mix is then heated and shaped under pressure with about six cups of ground, making an espresso cup and saucer. Nice. They're dishwasher-friendly, long-lasting, and can be reused over and over and over again. They're also 100% biodegradable. I'm in. So far, Coffee Forms cups are in 20 cafes around Berlin and 150 vendors across Europe. Uh, They aren't available here yet, but if you'd like to receive their newsletter or encourage them, you can go to coffeeform.com. That's K-O-F-F-E-E, form.com, coffeeform.com. And they look really cool, too. They look like coffee. Okay. They're brown and grainy looking, these mugs. Yeah. And they're nice looking mugs. Yeah. I want one. Yeah. Your birthday's a little ways off, so. Well, I, I can't get it. I tried to get it from Germany, and they wouldn't. They, they wouldn't, wouldn't have deal. it. No, nah, okay. they said yeah. eventually. Even, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a, but that's I figure if I, I get enough listeners. Yeah. Clamoring. To just yeah, just go to coffeeform.com yeah. and ask for their newsletter. They'll yeah. see that these are U.S. They see a market. People. Yeah, they see a market. Yeah. And then I'll be able to get my birthday present. There you go. And finally, 
A major high-speed rail power failure in Japan last month that caused the cancellation of 26 train schedules and delayed 12,000 passengers was found to have been caused by a shellless terrestrial gastropod mollusk. A slug. (laughs) You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. WeeklySignals.com Subscribe now.